MongoDB is possibly the most recognizable NoSQL document database. Mark Smith, a developer advocate for MongoDB, answers my many questions about it. We cover some basics, but also discuss some of advanced features that I never knew about before this conversation. Welcome to Testing Code. I assume I uh, you go by Mark. I do. Okay. I answer to anything. As you, as you know, I have that weird username online. <laughs> uh, Mark Smith. Uh, at least you have an easy last name. Indeed. Um, the. Do you want to describe why you have Judy Two K? Is your Twitter handle, or is that I? Never tell anybody that story. Okay. It's mainly because it's boring, right? It's not actually a very interesting story. And so, you know, people get really wound up about it. And then eventually I go, okay, I'll tell you the story. And then I tell it to them and they go, huh. That's boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Much better to leave it as a mystery. That's fine. You're Mark Smith. If people don't know who you are, what more should they know? Uh, I'm a developer advocate for MongoDB. Um, I've been, I've been there about a year. And before that, um, I, I'd say my I'm kind of part of the Python community in, in general, given talks at quite a few Python conferences over the years. So if you should kind of see me around, that's probably what I'm what I'm doing. Yeah, so that's uh, that's how we met. We ran into each other at a at a at a PyCon. Yeah, I can't remember if you brought your horns to PyCon or not. Or do you usually bring your horns? I did. I do now. PyCon US is the only conference that I take the horns to. <laughs> They don't pack down very small. Right. But people like, uh, you know, that only know you from Twitter could recognize you right away with the horns on. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, the, is that why? Uh, it, it kind of indirectly. I used to have a, an illustration of a Viking helmet. I was kind of anonymous on Twitter. And then when I started doing developer advocacy, my, my boss, who is kind of big in the developer advocacy community, was like, you have to have a photo of yourself on Twitter. Like people have to be able to recognize your face at conferences. You know, it's a service to the people that you're talking to, to give them some way to link up your Twitter profile. Um, and I resisted it for ages, kept this illustration on my Twitter profile. And eventually I just thought, you know, I'm going to put a photo up, but I'm, it's, I'm going to keep the Viking helmet. So I bought a cheap plastic Viking helmet off Amazon, did the business post looking over the shoulder with the Viking helmet, and then uh, and then set that as my profile. And I got a smirk emoji as a response from my boss at that point. So <laughs> I guess it worked. <laughs> well, it's, it's good. It's a good hat, though. Your large banner pick. It looks like you're wearing a kilt on stage. Yes. Yes, indeed. I'm uh, based in Edinburgh. Um, I, I was brought up in the south of England, hence my extremely bland English accent. But um, yeah, I, I moved to Scotland about 15 years ago. Um, okay. you'd, you'd struggle to understand my daughter. She speaks with a broad Scottish accent. Okay. I used to work with a team in Edinburgh a long time ago when I was working with uh, HP. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. We had a big HP office um, just outside Edinburgh. Yeah, cool. You're a developer advocate for Mongo. Am I offending you if I drop off the DB when I say Mongo? Uh, no, no. Um, internally, to, people tend to sort of switch between the two. So okay. I tend to stick with MongoDB generally, but that's not. I don't know why, because I actually find it quite difficult to say. Yeah, you can't really pronounce it. It's like MongoDB. I mean, yeah. <laughs> did you use MongoDB before you became a developer advocate? Um, no, not really. 
Yeah, I've used a bunch of different databases, both SQL and NoSQL over the years. Um, I actually took a job once just so I could use sort of a whole suite of NoSQL um, software out there because I thought it was the big thing at the time, but there was no... Um, I mean, this was about 12 years ago, I think, and there was there was no guarantee that any of it was actually going to survive. And I just thought this is really exciting to get to play with some of these new technologies. So I, I took a job. I'd actually been contracting for a while and planned to take a three month sabbatical. And then one day after quitting my current contract, I then got a call for this job that I then couldn't turn down. Um, OK, ended ended up working for a company called Skyscanner, um, which does uh, flight meta search. Um, they're much bigger in Europe and Asia than in America, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, they were the first unicorn that I worked for, so that they got pretty big over the time that I worked for them. Hmm. Let's just start with the basics. Um, what is MongoDB? Um, so MongoDB is a, a database. Um, it's a, it's a NoSQL database. I think it's about twelve years old. Um, it's for storing. Uh, it, it it its big premise is that it's a document database. So instead of storing data in tables and rows, um, and and not being a key value store, it stores these kind of hierarchical documents. So if you're used to storing um, kind of JSON files, they're sort of analogous to that. Um, I don't know whether we'll we'll cover that in any more detail, but I suspect it will come up at some point that. Um, that you know is not actually a JSON database. We even refer to it internally quite often as a JSON database. But yeah, you've got this idea that values are not just scalar values like strings and integers and Boolean values. You've also you can also store arrays and more documents within um, your kind of top level documents. So um, it's quite a rich structure. I started as a C developer. I do both C and Python now. I never do databases with C++. I always use any of my database applications are all Python-based. Yeah. Uh, and by document, we don't mean like Word docs or something. No, no. In Python, it's a dict. Um, right. So that's what I think of. I don't think of it as a JSON database. I think of it as a dictionary database. Like, I can just store dictionaries there. See, I think this is this was one of the big revelations that I found when I started working with MongoDB is that it actually, although it's not huge in the Python world it's much bigger in the javascript world um for the same reasons as it's big in the javascript community it, it's like it's a perfect fit for python because all those um kind of native types that you have in python that you're using all the time from dicts and lists and you know all, all the other types that you're using to that come with core python um they're all supported um out of the box in uh, mongodb so it's actually just a really fluid way to to work with data Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. I first tried PyCharm when they started supporting PyTest many years ago. Their support for PyTest is now amazing. I was a longtime Vim user, so next I needed to test the IdeaVim plugin. So all of my finger muscle memory still worked while editing. Check, it works great. There's lots of reasons to love PyCharm, but for me, it is because they have the absolute best user interface for test automation. Then I learned many more ways PyCharm can save me time, like really great support for editing Markdown, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, remote connections to database, and amazing version control support. Really, it's the best Git diff tool I've ever used. And now version 2020.3 is out, and the shift shift, the find anything key sequence, even lets you search Git commit messages. What even? That is so awesome. Tons of other cool features have been added in 2020.3. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy it at testingcode.com slash PyCharm. Well, before we get too much further, uh, you, tri- you said something that tripped me up. So I also think of a dictionary as a key value lookup. 
So you said that MongoDB is not a key value store, but I can store dictionaries. So am I thinking about key value store? I don't, maybe I don't know what a key value database is. Um, so it's certainly the way I think the, the easiest comparison is a key value store is one dict. It's like when you're looking up a value, you have, you use the key to look up the value that has that key. Okay. Uh, whereas in uh, MongoDB, you've got this idea of a collection, which just, it's just a bucket of documents. So um, it, you, it, if you were thinking about the file system, it would be a directory of files. Um, there's, the, and then, so it's really a, it's a, it's, it's lots of dicts um, stored, stored in a namespace. Oh, okay. So a bucket of dictionaries. Yeah, exactly. And so when you're looking for something like it's probably a good idea that your, your collection has documents with the same structure um, in it, but there's nothing enforcing that by default. So um, you can store movies and uh, music albums in the same, same collection if you want to, but that's probably a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) The way we think about it is that you should store data together that you query together. So if you're going to show movies and music in the same list, then you should probably query it from a single collection, Um, but make sure that there's a kind of shared subset for those documents that are in there. So maybe they should have a title, a runtime, I don't know, whatever it is that those two things have in common. So that's that's your kind of subset of data that you're going to query on when you list. One of the things that drew me to document databases is that I don't have to worry about SQL. <laughs> that seems obvious, but it, it's also just, there's like this weird translation layer. I use document databases just directly. I've, I've not been somebody to use a, like a an ODM or an ORM in the middle. I think ODMs, is that what they call them? Well, that's what we call them in the MongoDB world because it's a document mapper rather than a relational mapper, yeah. Is that that the normal, though? Do you have a sense for what normal is? Do people usually use an ODM or are they using MongoDB directly? In my experience, uh, newer developers, developers who are newer to MongoDB or are possibly coming from a different ecosystem, so they may be coming from Django and they're just used to having this stuff done for them, they will immediately reach for an ODM. And there's a couple of big ones out there. Um, I've just forgotten the main one that everybody uses, but we we developed one internally called uh, uh, Pi MODM. Um, and yes, that's it's you, you define your... Um, your class with all the attributes you expect to have on it, and then you can just create those and just kind of dump them into a database. But they're not actually adding a huge amount of value, um, and they kind of obscure some of the operations that you want to do. So um, the thing, again, I sometimes forget to mention this with MongoDB uh, because because it's just it, it's just so um, inherent to the way that you use it is you don't have to update a whole document. It's not like you just replace a document with another document, although obviously you can do that. You can update parts of a document independently. So if you just want to increment a number within a document, there's a command for that. And you just kind of say, look up this document and increment this value by this, uh, increment that value by by this. You can do you can you can bundle up a whole bunch of operations that you want to conduct on a document to update it. And that's all then conducted atomically. Okay. Um, and so if you've got uh an ODM, unless it's also essentially collating those operations that you've done locally, and then when you're applying them to the database, it actually applies those updates, then you know, you're not really getting the benefit. If it's just going to replace the values in the database, you're, you're losing that advantage. Okay, so it, uh, I guess people are probably maybe using an ODM when they really just don't want to think about the database at all. 
Yeah. The way I would use it, if, if I wanted that ability, and I do prefer working with objects than with raw dicts. I think that's one of the mistakes that a lot of developers use is kind of working with dicts more often than they should in Python. Um, if if I want, wanted to work with classes, I would use something like Marshmallow to map between the documents coming back from the database um, and and the objects that I want to work with. Because then you can apply, obviously you can add the domain, the the, the the business operations to that class um, so that once once the data is mapped into it, you can then conduct operations on that that, that makes sense. Okay, so Marshmallow is a good uh, way to, to be mapping between dictionaries and objects then? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I think I've looked at that before. So check it out. I wrote a, comp- a pe- I wrote a competitor to it once years ago called Kylie um, for mapping JSON to objects, but it wasn't as powerful as Marshmallow. I, I only found out about out about Marshmallow as soon as I told people I'd built this amazing library called Kylie, um, which was good with JSON, which is a, a Australian soap joke that <laughs> only people of a certain age will get. But yeah, everybody said, "Oh, the name is great, but there's already a better tool for this out there." So. Uh, yeah, that was, that was it. <laughs> that was, uh, it was the only bit of production code that I've ever written that had a meta class in it. I was so proud of myself. And then, yeah, it's been used by one person as far as I'm aware, other than myself. <laughs> That's the way things go. <laughs> okay. So there's a simplicity side. Is there, but is there a size thing? One of the things I was concerned about is I might have just a little tiny, small application. Would I use MongoDB for a small application or is MongoDB mostly for large applications? It's uh, people do. Tend, so the the reason it's called MongoDB is like it's a contraction of humongous. So it's meant to be a humongous database. It's meant to deal with web scale data. That was the big thing back, you know, a decade ago, um, uh, which we're kind of mocked for these days. Yeah. But I. I but no, it scales down really well. I have I have one I have it running on the Raspberry Pi <laughs> next to me. I have a whole bunch of little small home APIs uh, that I run um, on top of MongoDB just at home. Um, okay. And there's some there are definitely some disadvantages to running a single node. Um, it is designed to be run in a clustered environment, and you get things like automatic failover. You can upgrade um, each of your nodes. Um, separately, you kind of take them out of the cluster, upgrade them, put them back in the in the cluster, so you can have zero downtime upgrades um, in a cluster. Um, and yeah, you obviously get the resiliency of just having it on having your data on more than one machine. Um, but no, it it runs fine on, on a small single single node. Okay, well, like if I stuck it on a if I'm like at work or something and threw it on a, a server, uh, footprint wise, similar as like say uh, MySQL or something like that, or. Any ideas? I haven't checked, but that's what I have in my head. <laughs> is that it's about that? You know, it's like it doesn't. It's not like you suddenly lose all your RAM when you run it. It's a it's a low resource um, service, unless I guess you're storing huge amounts of data in. But again, that's all tunable. If you don't want to store all of your indexes in RAM, if you can deal with the performance hit you get by storing your your indexes on disk um, and loading them up when you're running queries and things, then you know, again, it's, you can run it as a small background service if you want to. Okay. And now indexes is something I never even think of. Do I need to think about indices or indexes? Oh, yeah. Yes. You're another person who says indices. I sometimes say indices as well. And then I think, oh, no, everybody says indexes these days. Um, but yes, absolutely. We we've got various different types of indexes. If you're doing lookups on a certain field, you're 
going to want to index that field in a collection. So that's the other thing you get with a collection is a sense of sort of you know, this applied uh, that these indexes go with a collection basically. Okay, but is an index something I build and then forget about, or is it something that I use to do the lookup? Oh no, it's uh, you. You can build it and then forget about it. It's oh, okay. just it's in the same way as you would with a relational database. Uh, well, I don't know general. how to use those either. So oh, fair enough. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's it's just something you you add to a collection at some point when you realize that it's running really slowly, <laughs> and then you you look up, you realize it's doing a complete collection scan, and you go, okay, I'm I'm looking stuff up by name and I'm sorting it by date, so I'm going to need an index on those two columns, and then after that, you never need to refer to them again. Um, Okay. Automatically use the indexes that are relevant. Okay. You, you one one of the things you brought up is the downfall of running a single node. Is it is there is it more of a downfall than like running a single instance of MySQL or something? Um, um no. As, as long as you're taking backups, no, not really. Um, okay. So yeah, I. I mean, it's I a file admit- base. It's a file backed up system, also, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's fully uh, acid compliant. It's it stores stuff on disk, and it yeah. It's I mean, in fact, the main thing, um, the, one of the main things that's happened in the last decade is that um, the storage engine was rewritten. Um, MongoDB acquired a company called Wired Tiger, uh, with some uh, some some computer scientists with some some serious background behind them, um, who had written this non-locking concurrent database engine. Um, and so that was that was incorporated into MongoDB about five years ago, I think, um, and uh, has meant that it works better on multi-core systems than it did. It's like a very the early versions of MongoDB were a very different product to to the product that's out today. It's it's been almost completely rewritten sort of over the last decade, which I, I think is something that people don't necessarily they think they know about MongoDB is wrong because. It's they're just out of date. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just a different product. Oh, okay. I, I don't have those misconceptions. I just think it's neat. But I've only been using it for like <laughs> the last few years. So So you're actually a MongoDB user, are you? Well, in a in a very single node small sense. So um I've actually been using uh the two I, I don't know if there's other small dates for a, a small local application. Um uh, I've I'll, I've used MongoDB and also TinyDB. That doesn't support indexes, does it? I think that was the main limitation with it was just it's a bit yeah it's just dumping data on file in files basically, isn't it? Or is it one big file? I think it's one big file or small file. But like if you really need a small database, the other option would have been SQLite or yeah, that's it. SQLite is great for small databases. It's well, obviously, that's why it's everywhere. <laughs> well, except for I still have to think about SQL. Yes, indeed. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just if I just want to store my stuff, sometimes I don't want to think about it. Yeah, totally. I I don't I don't love SQL. I have to admit, it's like I I do the relational da- da- relational model has some real advantages in terms of structuring data and doing queries um, with joints and. Uh, but I don't think C- SQL is a great way of doing that. And it just amazes me that it's still around kind of 50 years after it was invented or whatever, because it's there, w- there was a the other I forget what it was called, but there was a competing system for a, a competing technology built by the Ingress um, database uh, that that was much closer to what's actually happening behind the scenes in terms of the way kind of the the re- relational 
algebra. I'm not sure I've got the right phrase for that. But um, that lost out to Oracle, who, who really backed SQL in a big way. Um, and so we've been stuck with this language that looks like it's human readable and writable, but it isn't really. It just happens to use more words than you really want to use when you're writing the queries. You brought up relationships. You can have relationships between different collections within MongoDB. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, the, the there's MongoDB has this second query language. I don't know whether you've come across it, but aggregation pipelines. Have you no. used those at all? See, it's it's a killer feature of MongoDB, and it's big. It's a it's a big complex feature, and um, everybody misses it. Everybody learns the basic CRUD operations, um, uh, but uh, the aggregation pipelines is like a parallel query language. Um, uh, the way that you build them up is you've got this kind of list of operations that you want to conduct on a on a collection. Um, so you might start with a filter, um, which is. Uh, it's a match actually, which which filters the document do a sort on it and then you can add some fields based on calculations so you can run the calculations across multiple fields um, and sort of add that the value as a new field to each document running through this pipeline um, and then whatever's left at the end of the pipeline gets returned to you as your resulting documents and one of the oper one of the many operations you can conduct as part of that pipeline is called a lookup which does a join against another collection or possibly your own collection if you've got kind of a, a, a is it barrier um, where you've got a relationship to yourself in some way. Uh, and it will use indexes wherever possible. I think this is another misconception. I've seen this written kind of up in Reddit comments and things like that, it, that it doesn't use any of the indexes, but it does. It's, it's, it's as much as is possible, it will use all of the um, kind of power available to it to um, optimize your uh, the operations you're, you've asked it to conduct, including behind the scenes. In some cases, it will reorder the operations to make them more efficient if they'll end up with the same result at the end of it. Okay. Um, there's some very clever people behind that feature as well. Neat. I'll have to check that out. Um, you, you, I love them. I Now, when I do a beginning talk about MongoDB, I show how find works and then i'm like yeah but this is kind of boring every database can look stuff up this is, let's move to aggregation pipelines because this shows where the real power is in mongodb so yeah you, you have to go and check that out okay i guess I, I had a few more questions let's see one of the things that came up uh, during the time where i was paying attention to mongodb was the introduction to of transactions but yeah. you i think you brought up that transactions really aren't that necessary most of the time um, can you expand on that? What, why why would they be necessary in the rest of the world, but not in MongoDB? So, in a the fundamental reason for transactions is consistency. Um, I, I would guess that's the it's the C in ACID, but it's it's this a bit this when you're updating a tables multiple tables in a relational model, you need to do that within a transaction because otherwise there's a potential for let's say you're adding tracks to an album. Um, to use the kind of classic relational example, uh, you need to put a lock on the album because there's, otherwise there's a chance that by the time you've added the 10 tracks that belong to it, somebody's just deleted the album because maybe it had a misspelled title or you know the wrong ID or something like that. And so you need transactions for essentially doing any update in your database that, that has any, any joins in it, if you care about consistency. Um, because MongoDB can store that album as because it stores um, hierarchical data within a single document and because updates to a single document are atomic, um, 
providing you can make those updates within a single document, um, you don't need a transaction. Or it's kind of the transactions implicit, I guess. Um, we added explicit transactions in 4.0. Um, so actually two, maybe three years ago. Um, so if you do want to do updates across multiple collections, you you can explicitly say, I'm starting a transaction now and now I'm committing my transaction. Um, but it's kind of about, it's a sign that you haven't really modeled your data the right way. There's the, the, the MongoDB way is to store data that goes together, together, like within a single document, ideally. Um, okay. Sometimes that's just hard to think about. I absolutely. Mean, like and for, it's just a heuristic. It's not. I'm not saying it's, you're a bad person if you haven't done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I instantly go to something like an inventory situation where you got like um, all the all the elements that are in the the back room and the front room or something like that. Um, if I want to subtract five from here and move them over there, they probably aren't going to be in the same table or something or the same the same document. Right? Document. Yeah. Right. Totally. So. Um, so what you need then is uh, a pattern called event sourcing, um, which I've never actually implemented myself, but I'm just aware that this is the solution to the problem. And like, fundamentally, this is the way banks move money around, right? Banks don't actually do everything in transactions. What they do is they, or in database transactions, what they do is model the actions themselves, like the actual transactions. So you end up with a stream of operations. It's like you'll have an operation, which is transfer this money from this account to this account, and then whatever application server they're using will pick up that operation and say, okay, now I'm going to subtract some money from here and now I'm going to put it in here. And you can, you can kind of track the history um, by matching the events that were executed on it. Um, there's, there's a really neat, um, if, you, if you Google for event sourcing MongoDB, um, there's a two paragraph page on it on the MongoDB website, which if I'm being honest, it's not hugely useful, except for as a pointer that event sourcing is maybe something you should know about. Um, but there's a really good blog post that somebody's written. Um, D I think his name's Deepal, um, about how to implement this in MongoDB. And so he he implements the the sort of event collection, which is your stream of events, and then he implements a view on top of it. So these aggregate the aggregation pipelines you can create that these sequence of operations. You can also say create me a view where essentially it, and apply this aggregation pipeline to this correct, uh, collection as a view. And then you can just do read-only operations on that aggregated collection. And so he's got this neat aggregation that actually creates your, your kind of view of each account, and it embeds the history in each one as a, as a kind of a bunch of operations that's been conducted on the event stream. Um, it's really, really smart. That sounds great. I'll have to check that out too. So many things to look at. I actually need to go away and implement it myself now so I can properly get my head around how to do this. The last thing I guess I wanted to touch on was when would I reach for MongoDB? If I'm doing a little tiny command line application that just needs to store uh, a K of data or something like that, maybe not? Or The official line is MongoDB is a general purpose database and you can use it for any, <laughs> any data storage needs that you have. Um, but no, I think, yeah, obviously for a tiny application, it's not really an embedded database. So if if you want if you want to store data like use SQL like um I would love I would genuinely love like an embedded subset of MongoDB 
for, for storing stuff on disk on Linux. In fact, now I think about it, we do have a product that does that. We have a product called Realm. Um, it's a slightly different model to MongoDB itself, but um, you can store the data locally. It's It runs on... Um, React Native, and there's a there's a Node version of it as well. So it would be difficult to use with Python, which is why it doesn't immediately jump in my head. But it's got a neat sync feature where if you want to sync the data to a, a central uh, MongoDB server, it will handle all of that and conflict resolution. Program that isn't syncing to a centralized database or something like that, then MongoDB is probably the wrong choice. So I'd go with a plain file or um, you know some sort of key value database um, or SQLite. Uh, but everything up from that, I think as soon as you're sharing data with other users, um, I think it, it it fits a huge number of use cases. Um, so even like it, a like a local thing. So if I've got a, a local web app or something like that where I've got, you know, you know, that just a team of people accessing the same data, it might be a good thing for that. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I, I think it, I, one of the places where I'd really like to see it used more is data science. So uh, you've already mentioned it's just really easy to get your data in there. Um, and and then with aggregation pipelines, you can conduct a whole load of operations on it. And it's, it's just, you know, it's, you've got that um, agility of being able to just kind of modify the data in place. You don't have to design a complex um, relational schema up front and then force your data into it. It's just like get the data in and then you can kind of clean it up later if you want to, or you can change the structure later. Or you can stick a view on top of it to sort of impose some order on it. It's um, I think it, it fits that really well. And as my application grows, do I have to care about like um, uh, migrations or something like that? Yes, is the short answer. Um, but it's you don't have to migrate in one go because um, you can adapt to the data that because you can store different structured data in a collection. If you want to, you can write programs that can deal with those different structures of data. Um, so you can choose to leave the old data in its old format and never change it if you if you don't want to. And as long as you've got some facade in your code that can accept the old schema and kind of manipulate it so your application can still deal with it, then you never need to change it. You can do um, kind of update on read. So every time you read the data, you just go, oh, it's in the old format. I'll write it back in the new format. Oh, I guess that would be an update on write, really. Um, or you can choose to do a big bang migration and just say, look, I just want my data to all be in the new format, like ASAP, and run that as a kind of either a background operation or, you know, it just as a, a an upfront operation in, um, in your app server. But I think the flexibility there is quite nice. So you don't, don't have to do okay. uh, sort of end of the world migration because those are the things DBAs are terrified of. Um, when I've worked in companies with big databases, it's been like, we need to change the schema. So, uh, you know, we're going to be prepared for some potential downtime. Hopefully this won't run too long. We've run it on the staging servers and it only takes two hours. You know, we're going to do this and to run it on different servers and then move everybody over. It's, I, I'd say it's just data is hard. I think it's as somebody who sometimes has had the chance to write pure software where there's no real data being stored um, at any scale. It's like when you get back to data, it's like, oh, yeah, this is really hard. You can't just stick this in a container and not worry, you know, make it eph ephemeral. <laughs> it's like we have to make sure that this never goes away. And it, it's always in the format that we expect. And it's, you know, that there's no dud values in there. Well, um, so when I when I when you just start using MongoDB, you don't have to have a schema. Is there a is there a notion of a schema in in Mongo? That's okay. another underused feature of MongoDB is you can apply a JSON schema to a collection. Um, and 
use that to validate all data going in. So it doesn't validate the data that's already in the collection, but it does it, again, on write, essentially. It makes sure that it validates your data as you're changing it. Okay. And and do those have, like, version numbers so that you can say, I'm using version X of the schema or of the data? Yes, I think so. I think so. JSON schema is quite powerful. You can, I believe you can tell it that, you know, if, if a value is set to one, then you're following this version. And if value, I, I could be wrong about that, um, that, that may be a limitation of it. But um, you, one of the things I really like about it is that you don't have to validate the whole schema. So in that example I gave you before where you're storing like multiple data types, but they all have a name and a runtime and a, I guess an ID and a date that they were added. You can you can just validate that subset and say they must have this or they're not a valid document, and that's that's quite nice. And then the rest can be as as flexible as you need for your for your data model. Okay. And then if you were going to go and val- like migrate the all of the data, is that migration something that you have to write yourself or um, just yep. like read all the data and then write it back some or something like that? Yeah. Do it, do it one record at a time or document as at a time um it's okay. it's tedious but it's no different to any other database <laughs> out there that i know of i suppose there are tools out there that will do migrations for you as far as i'm aware we don't have one of those yeah well like um like for instance i think uh i thought that django had their own migration scheme yeah yeah django's django's migrations are amazing um andrew, andrew well he wrote it twice but andrew did a really good job well cool um well, this was a lot of fun. Did I uh, forget to ask anything that you really want to say about Mongo before we wrap it up? Uh, so we talked about a lot about running MongoDB on your own device or server or whatever. Um, and I didn't get a chance to pitch the fact that we have this big MongoDB as a service offering called Atlas. Hmm. Full cluster of MongoDB um, just by pressing the button. Free tier is really good. Lasts forever. Um, and, uh, it scales up and down automatically for you as you require. So it can save you quite a bit of money rather than sort of buying the biggest machines that you think you need in the future. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to get that in there. It's a really good way. If you just want to get started with MongoDB, it's much easier than installing MongoDB on your own, uh, your own device. Cool. Well, thanks so much for your time. Um, and if people want to reach out to you, is there a place to, they can reach you? Uh, Twitter's usually the best place, just on GD2K. See, I can't say GD2K either. I've got a job for a company I can't pronounce and a Twitter handle I can't pronounce. So, <laughs> uh, Well, we'll put links in the show notes, of course, and uh, and get this out so everybody can go out and try MongoDB. It's been great chatting. Thank, thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark. Great info about MongoDB. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring the show. Try PyCharm yourself at testandcode.com slash PyCharm. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testandcode.com slash support. Show notes for this episode are at testandcode.com slash 142. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.